Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to see you this morning. Um, hello to Nick and Vicky and anyone else listening online. Um, but it is um, really good to be with you this morning. I want to take you back for a moment to an event that happened earlier on this year, which for many of you may well have passed you by. And you might be forgiven for having missed this, unless you're into a particular sport which is played predominantly on the other side of the Atlantic. You will have missed this completely. But I wanted to bring it to your attention because it was a monumental event in the National Football League, in the NFL. Okay, have we got any NFL fans in? One or two. So one or two of you may know what I'm talking about. For those who haven't, and for those who aren't, um, the date is the 20th of January 2019. Okay? I will explain how this is relevant. Just bear with me. Just, bring it, just, just come with me on this journey. Right, 20th of January 2019. It is the NFC title game. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. It's an important game. Just take my word for it. Right? It's the NFC title game. New Orleans, New Orleans Saints against the Los Angeles Rams. Right? We are 1 minute 49 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, which is very nearly at the end of the game. The score is tied at 20 points each. Essentially, tension is really, really high. Okay? It's New Orleans Saints ball, third down at the Los Angeles 13 line. Okay? Which means that basically they've got a long way to go down the pitch. But they've got the ball. And that is the key thing. At the end of the game, of an NFL game, if you have the ball, you have a chance. If you haven't got the ball, your entire game plan is to get possession back. Because when you get possession back, you have a chance to win the game. But you've still got to get down the field. So it's third down. Drew Brees... Saints quarterback drops back to pass upfield to Tommy Lee Lewis, who's a wide receiver, about 10 yards down the field. That would take them to the next play, and they can carry on, and they can win the game. He launches it upfield. Everybody thinks, brilliant, completed pass, we're there. Until defensive player, Nickel Roby Coleman, by the Los Angeles Rams, you know who I'm talking about, right? takes him out completely, absolutely obliterates Tommy Lee Lewis. And I mean destroys him before the ball even gets there. Now, everybody is looking at that going foul. Pass interference, clearly he's got no chance. That's going to go to a penalty and it'll all be fine, right? Not only is that pass interference, it's also helmet-to-helmet contact, which means that he's led with his helmet, hit the other guy in the head, and with the new concussion protocols, which you all know, yeah, right? That is a significant, serious offense. So everyone thinks, right, foul, done, done and dusted. 73,000 people in the stadium saw it. Two coaches saw it. All the players saw it. 50 million people watching around the world saw that foul. Everybody watching that game saw that foul. Except the seven referees on the pitch. (laughs) Who did... Nothing. Yes, seven referees. Forget fourth official. This is the NFL we're talking about. They do things properly. So seven referees on the pitch missed it. No call. Nothing happened. They couldn't challenge the call, which means the play stood, which means turnover ball, Rams got the ball, went to overtime, they marched down the field and won the game completely unjustifiably. And for the person who said unbelievable, yes, it was unbelievable at the time. There was outrage. There was screaming. There were tears. There was everything. That was just the coaches on the sideline. That's not an exaggeration. 
two things happened after this game. Okay? And this is where it becomes slightly relevant. Two things happened after this game. The first is that the team that did not deserve to win won and went to the Super Bowl. Now, admittedly, they got absolutely destroyed in the Super Bowl, and they were playing my favorite team, the Patriots, so, you know, what can you do? But they won the game completely undeservedly. The second thing that happened was about three months later, a couple of weeks ago, they had a meeting of what's called the Competition Committee in the NFL. Competition Committee is basically all the coaches and owners from all 32 teams in the NFL, and they get together and they talk about rules and what's appropriate and what isn't. And they changed the rules. They said, in future, if this happens, we're going to allow coaches to challenge that call so that it goes to a video review, which it doesn't do automatically, but so that it doesn't happen again in future. The basics of it is this. Something happened. Something monumental. A massive event happened, and it changed the rules. It changed the way that things work. Now, I was playing football in the garden with my kids the other day with Gideon. Gideon is obsessed with football at the moment. He likes to be the goalkeeper and wants you to take shots at him. Gideon is six and he's fantastic. We have another son called Nathaniel who is three, who shall we say struggles with the rules a little bit. So I'm playing football with Gideon. Nathaniel comes out, runs onto the pitch. I want to play. Yeah, fine, brilliant. Yeah, have a go. Picks the ball up and runs off with it. At which point, I say, Nathaniel, you can't do that. You can't do that. The response was, no, Daddy, I'm a Power Ranger. I can do this. <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. You can't argue that. What can you do with that? He's changed the rules. He's a Power Ranger. What do you do? The rules have changed. Now, we had Easter last week. Right? We had Palm Sunday a couple of weeks ago where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to rapturous applause, cheering, and people throwing coats down in front of the road and celebrating his arrival. We had Good Friday where he is crucified, mocked, and dies on a cross and is buried in the ground. We have Easter Sunday where he is resurrected, and they say he is not here, he is risen, and he comes out of the grave having left all of our sin and shame and everything that is negative behind Something happened, something monumental, and the rules changed. The rules of life and death changed. But my question to you is, do we live like it? Because we read these passages in the Bible, and I'm going to put one up on the screen in a minute and give you a biblical context for what I'm talking about. But we read these passages that essentially explain... That life is different. Life has changed. That the rules have changed. We shouldn't be living according to the old way of doing things. But do we actually let it change how we live our lives? And that's really the challenge that I want to give you this morning. And what we're going to talk about for the rest of this half an hour that I've got with you. Is do we live as though the rules have changed? So let's look at biblical context for this. My computer's gone to sleep, so that's what happens when I go off on NFL tangents. It's making sure that it's me.
Good. Okay. So, biblical context. Romans 6. Just overlook that. It's all good. Right. Romans 6 is a brilliant passage, which is written by a guy called Paul. Now, Paul is writing to a load of people in Rome, hence Romans. And essentially, we're going to drop in in Romans 6. I suggest you read the whole of Romans if you've never read Romans before. It will mess with your head a little bit. There are some weird concepts in Romans. There are some fantastic truths, but there are things that you need to really think about to figure out. And we're going to look at a couple of them today. Um, But Romans 6, we are joining Paul essentially in mid-rant. Okay, He is having a pop, properly having a pop about the way that people are living their lives. And he's talking to Christians who have accepted Jesus as their saviour, but are still living life the way that they did before. And so he's having a real go at them, but trying to explain what has changed in life and why they should be living differently to how they were before. So we'll have a look at Romans 6, 2.14. Now, there are some interesting... Or 2.14. Romans 6, verse 2 to 14. There are some interesting concepts in this. It talks about death. It talks about life. It talks about resurrection. It talks about sin. When we talk about sin, what we're talking about is just those things that separate us from God. The things that we do that rob us, the things that are destructive, the things that we know that we shouldn't do, but we find ourselves doing anyway. So let's have a look. We'll start at verse 2. He's stuck, like I say, he's mid-rant, so he's got a by no means, right? That's about the previous sentence that he had before. But we'll go. For with the, we are those who have died to sin. Sin being all of that stuff that would rob us of life in all its fullness. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, all of the sin and all of the stuff that separates us from God died with him. We don't have to live in that anymore because when he rose again, we rose with him into a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. In other words, it is finished. It's done. It's dusted. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, don't keep doing the things that you know that you shouldn't do that you did before because Jesus has set you free from all that. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace being when we are given what we don't deserve. That is the biblical context for what we're going to talk about this morning. What is Paul trying to say there? 
Why are you living the way that you always have done? Why are you living the same way that you did 10 years ago? Why are you living the same way that you did before Jesus came and set you free? Why are you choosing to go back to that place? Because the rules have changed. Life is different. Things are different. You can choose to live life differently. Is it easy? No, but it is possible. And we have to get to the point of starting down that line. Now, the majority of us in this room will be at different stages on our journey in this. Okay, some of you might be looking at this thinking, do you know what? My life's all right. And that's absolutely fine. But there are always things that we can get closer to God. There are always areas of our life that we potentially need to deal with. And there are always things that we need to surrender again to Jesus. I know that this is a continual process for me. Some days, I'm doing all right. I'm doing well. It's absolutely fine. I live my life. I like to think that I live my life in a, in a way that, that glorifies God. If I'm honest, I probably spend more of my days thinking, oh, do you know what? I messed that up again. Why am I doing this again? Why am I coming back to this again? Why am I dealing with the same things again? And I think there is a continual process of accepting that the rules have changed and choosing to live under grace rather than beating myself up for what has been done before. Because accepting this and recognizing it is the difficult bit. Because it is entirely reliant on our perspective, which is the way that we see the world. Now, I have a way that I see the world, and it's generally based on my experiences and what I have gone through in the past. So when something new comes along, I think, well, I've always experienced the world to be this way, so I'm going to interpret this new thing according to my experiences, and I respond in a certain way. You will do that slightly differently because your experience of what life is like and what the world is like is different. But you have a perspective and a way of seeing the world. But perspectives have to be challenged. Because the problem with perspectives is that I naturally, subconsciously, instinctively think I'm right. The way that I see the world is right. I mean, if you see the world differently, that's that's all well and good, but you're wrong. This is how the world is, right? This is how we normally live our lives. When someone comes along with a different perspective to us, we think, you don't know what you're on about. And that is about perspective. The first step of this is that I have to recognize that I have a perspective. I have a way of seeing things. And I have to be prepared for that perspective to be challenged or it's never going to change. If you don't allow yourself to be challenged, you're never going to change because we'll just carry on doing the same thing that we always have done before. But as human beings, we're not good at that. We are not good at being challenged. We are not good at changing. If you ask anyone who has ever made a New Year's resolution, we're not good at changing things. The stati- I mean, I don't know what the statistics are. It's a, it's a survey that's never been done, but how many New Year's resolutions have actually been kept in a long-lasting, sustainable way. We make decisions that we're going to change. And it doesn't tend to happen. When we are successful, when we are successful in changing, often it is not about making the decision. It is about changing our mindset and changing the way that we look at life and the way that we look at the world. Romans 12.2 says it like this. It's a very, very um, famous verse. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you by changing the way that you think. For that to happen, I have to recognize that the way that I think isn't necessarily the only way to see the world. But that is the first step of doing this. So this morning, I want to challenge the way that we think. And I want to challenge the way that we think about life. I want to challenge the way that we think about death. So not about games, not about rules. Thinking about, you know, nothing major, but the concept of life and death. And I want to do that because we have to recognize that the way that we think about life and the way that we think about death isn't necessarily the only way to think about it. And it isn't necessarily the right way to think about it. And part of that process is recognizing that my perspective is different from yours. But more importantly, my perspective could well be different from God's. In fact, it's more than likely different from God's, if we're honest. And the Bible actually puts it into passages like this. Isaiah 55 verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words... You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, you think that's what life is like? (sighs) That is not the way that it works. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, admittedly out of context, but the concept is similar. The Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I look at my circumstances. I look at my situations. I look at the outward appearance of people. God doesn't look at that stuff. He looks at the heart. He has a different perspective and a different way of viewing my situation and my life. There's another passage which isn't up on the screen, but which says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can know the things that God has in store for those who love, you, who love him. Which basically means he has things that we don't even know about. Yeah. We have to recognize that our perspective is different from God's. God doesn't work in the same way that we do. God doesn't think in the same way that we do. But we often interpret his word and we interpret the things that he does through the lens of our experience and through the lens of my perspective and our perspective. But in doing so, we forget that God knows more than we do and that spiritual life and physical life aren't necessarily the same thing. So I want to challenge our way of thinking. And the way we think about life and death. And the way I'm going to do that is talk about something that I deal with um, or deal with as a concept on an almost daily basis and have done for about kind of nine to ten years. It's not something that everyone in this room will deal with on a daily basis. In fact, it is something that many people in this room might struggle a little bit with and might find quite an emotive subject. So um, I'm not going to apologize for that in advance because it's important to challenge us so that we change the way that we think but I will put a disclaimer up there of much like the BBC if you are affected by any of the issues that are raised in this preach then by all means come and get prayer at the front because seriously there are guys here who would love to pray with you with some of the stuff that we're talking about Um, but I want to challenge the way that we think about life and death and I believe that God can speak to us about eternity through the everyday So the things that we deal with every day are the things that he uses to speak to us. I think that's why Jesus taught in parables. He took subjects that people encountered on a daily basis and used them to teach them things about God. 
So um, for those of you who are unaware, some of you will be, but um, some of you aren't, um, I'm a paramedic. I was a paramedic qualified in 2010, spent about five years working on the road around Stoke and Stafford between 2010 and 2015. And then um, for the last four years, I've been teaching people at Staffs Uni um, on the paramedic course. Um, and the thing about paramedics is that we encounter life and death quite regularly or quite routinely. The concept of life and death, not always dead people, but sometimes that is the case. Um, but we encounter the concept of life and death quite regularly and quite routinely, which is not something that most people actually um, have to deal with. But that is the everyday that we deal with on occasion. And some of the things that, when I think about resurrection, when I think about death, when I think about Jesus dying on the cross, when I think about the concept of people coming back from the dead, I have a perspective that is my own, and I interpret it through that experience that I have. So I've been involved in, in um, the resuscitation, not resurrection, resuscitation. <laughs> it, is, it is different, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, but I've been involved in the resuscitation of many, many patients, some old, some young, some successful, many not, um, and in various different circumstances. And I've been involved in teaching people about resuscitation and how we bring people from a state of essentially death, as in having no pulse, heart has stopped, breathing has stopped, completely unconscious, back to life again. And that process, I think, is an interesting one because it has taught me things about life and death, but also I think it highlights some things that we think about and the way that we think about resurrection, often I think we mistake and put in human terms and think about it from a resuscitation point of view. And as Ben has quite rightly said, there is a difference between resurrection and resuscitation. And I want to just highlight one or two things that I think will help you in your understanding of what God is doing and what God did when he raised Jesus from the dead because of the way that we think about life and about death. Is that okay? Good. So, first thing that we need to know. In resuscitation, when we approach a patient who is apparently deceased, there is a process that goes through. The first thing that we do is do a scene assessment. The first thing that we do is look at a patient and make a decision whether or not to start resuscitating them. It's a hard decision. It's a difficult one. And there are lots of concepts that are, that are involved in it. But essentially, we have to make a choice and make a decision whether or not we're going to attempt to resuscitate that person. And that can be anything. It can be involved concepts, anything as long as how long have they been down for? What kind of injuries have they sustained to get them into that position? Is it reversible? Is it not reversible? Um, how what, Was there any bystander CPR? Has anybody intervened in the meantime? All sorts of different things. And it is quite a complicated process. But we arrive at a situation and we make a decision whether or not to start. And that decision essentially comes down to a thought process of, is it going to be worth it? Not because that person isn't worth it, but because that situation may not be rectifiable. We may not be able to bring them back. And there's a, there's a set protocol and things that we do to get to that point. But the harsh reality of resuscitation is that there are some patients who are redeemable and there are some who are not because of the situations that they found themselves in. That is resuscitation. But sometimes I think we approach our lives a little bit like that. And my question for you is, is there anything in your life that you have written off? 
that you have decided is not worth it. For some people, it's about areas of their life. It's about things that they've just accepted as part of who they are. You know, I'll always be angry. That's just the way that I am. You know, I'll always struggle with relationships. That's just who I am. I'll always struggle with addiction. There are parts of your life that you've potentially written off and said, you know what? I'm not even going to go there because it's too painful. It's just not worth it. That's just the way that life is. Okay? That is a resuscitation mindset for what is a resurrected situation. Jesus died on the cross and came back to life in all its fullness, having left all of those things behind him. But we live as though he hasn't in some parts of our life. Now, for some of you, it's about that's not worth dealing with. For some of you, it could be a feeling of I'm not worth it. That is a complete false lie. And Jesus has not come to bring you into that sort of a life. He's come to bring you to life in all its fullness. We arrive in a situation or we find ourselves in a situation and we make a judgment based on our experience and on the things that we have um, lived our lives according to. And we make a decision whether or not we're going to deal with those issues. And that's not the same perspective that God has. You know, the Easter story, Jesus died. He was crucified on the cross. He suffered a massive, catastrophic hemorrhage. It was a traumatic cardiac arrest. He had complete cardiovascular and respiratory collapse and died and was buried for three days. His disciples, for three days, were in a place of complete hopelessness, of complete loss, of complete wondering what on earth had happened and had written it off. Some of them have written it off to the extent that they'd gone home. But God wasn't done yet. You may have written things off in your life. God is not done with them. There may be dreams that you've written off as impossible. God is not done with them. There may be things in your life that you thought, you know what, I can't deal with those. It's too difficult. It's too hard. God is not done with those things because he is not restricted by your ability to deal with your issues. Nothing is impossible with God. He has an ability to see things in a different way. And he sees through the external situation, the outward appearance, and sees straight to your heart, which he loves and wants to bring back to life in all its fullness. We have to recognize a truth. And the truth is that I am not how I think I am. Not who I think I am, how I think I am. And actually, what that's saying is life is not the way that I think it is. And that is stage one. Stage one is accepting, do you know what? I could be wrong. The way that I've lived my life for the last 10, 15 years might actually not be the only way to live my life. The way that I look at the world around me might not be the only way to look at the world around me. I am not how I think I am. Romans 8, verse 6 starts with this. It talks about mindsets, and it talks about the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit, how we think about life and how we think about spiritual life. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. Have you ever felt like you're trying to do something? I mean, dieters, Anyone with me? You feel like you're trying to do something, but there's a massive part of your life that is just kind of saying, no, I don't want to do that. 
That's what this is talking about. It's a mindset focused on the flesh. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of him. But now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, those things that separate us from God, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. We have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you're about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, then we taste his abundant life. The way that I see the world is not the only way to see it. God sees it differently from me. I am not how I think I am. Second mindset that we need to change. Step two. Step one, I am not how I think I am. The world is different to how I see it. The second mindset is I am not who I was. When we resuscitate somebody, we're looking for a return of spontaneous circulation. That is, we want their heart to be beating again on its own without any prompting. And that happens in around about 5% of cases. It is not a good success rate. But we're looking for a return of spontaneous circulation. When that happens, we take them to hospital. They're handed over for secondary care and everything else that goes on inside hospital. But all of their history goes with them. Everything that got them to the point of cardiac arrest in the first place goes with them. Their medical history goes with them. Their lifestyle choices go with them. The things that they chose to do that led them to that situation go with them with them. Resurrection is not like that. But we live as though it is. Sometimes we drag the things of the past with us through life as though we've been resuscitated and brought back to life, but we're still holding on to those things that are following us around. That is not the case with resurrection. Resurrection is a new start. It is a new beginning. It is a complete reset of systems. God remembers your sin no more. You don't have to carry it around with you. Jesus came to set the captives free. Not let them pick up their chains and carry them around with them for however long. I am not who I was. Do you ever find yourself circling back to the same things over and over again? That mindset doesn't have to follow you. And that fits into the category of something that we feel that we can't get rid of because even shaking that mindset is difficult. But you are not who you were. You are not the same person that you were before you accepted Jesus Christ into your life. You are not the same person. You don't have to carry those things with you. You are not the same person that you were yesterday. This is a constant process of redeeming and transforming your mindset and transforming your life. The past doesn't come with us. Romans 8, we're going to carry on. We we finished at verse 13. We're going to carry on at verse 14. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. I've lived a lot of my life being afraid of not being good enough. 
When I became a dad, I was worried about not being a good enough dad. I'm still not worried about being a good enough dad on occasion. When I go in, went into my job, I was worried about not being good enough. In various different aspects of life, I was worried about not being good enough. And I think that's a common thing for many of us, that actually we're concerned that we're not up to the task of what we're being asked to do. And if we're honest, some of us as Christians feel that as well. You know, we read passages in the Bible. We read things like the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we think, what if I'm not good enough? God didn't give us the spirit of being led back into the fear of never being good enough. I am not who I was. You are not who you were. You are different. Thanks, Abigail. It's lovely. And sometimes I think it's about saying not today. It's making a daily choice about saying not today. I found this quite um, helpful um, a while ago just to think about it in terms of... It, and it actually it's, it came out of um, a diet choice which was essentially I had a conversation with my wife about how kind of the things that I was eating and, and, and that sort of stuff. And Rhi is um, fantastic at putting things in a really, really irritatingly simple way that just makes me think, why didn't I think of that? And then I still struggle with implementing it. So that, that's just, just the way it is. But it was, it was a decision that actually um, I would um, eat food that I knew wasn't good for me, and many of you will be in that situation as well. And she said, well, why don't you just make a choice every time you're tempted to just go, no. <laughs> and I'm like, you should do motivational speeches. I mean, life is, is that simple. Um, and it's not that simple. That's just the, but every t- if every single time I stood, in a, I stood in a shop and looked at the chocolate bar on the shelf and thought, nope, not doing that today. If I did that every single time, I wouldn't eat any chocolate. It's weird, isn't it? Because I don't think like that. But actually, that is the case. Sometimes you've, you've just got to say, not today. And then not today. And then not today. And then not today. And when the past approaches, when darkness comes in, when the things that are rising up behind you, the fears that you used to have, the sins that you used to have, the temptations that you used to have, sometimes it's a case of saying, not today. Because today is the Lord's. Today belongs to him. Today there is a hope and a future. Today there is life. Today there is joy. Today I can live in his abundant life. Today I can resist the devil and he will flee from me. So yesterday might have been theirs, but not today. If we approach life with that mindset, Think of the difference it would make to you on a day-to-day basis. Now, I am not saying that is easy. But it is a choice. Because I am not who I was. I am not how I think I am. I'm not who I was. And the third truth comes out of Romans 6 again. And it's just following on from those verses that we've just looked at. Mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. You did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. The third truth is this. 
I am his. And when we recognize that, everything else can fall into place. I am not how I think I am. The world is different to how I see it. I am not who I was. I am his. God has put us in that position of childhood, of adopted into his family. So that when Jesus was resurrected and brought back from from the dead, that we could rise with him, leaving the past behind us. We talk about resurrected life. And the way that we live it is by realizing the truth that I am his. That he is my father, that I am his son. Do I recognize that and live like that every single day of my life? No. But I want to choose to. And that's the challenge really this morning is that yes, we can understand this stuff and we can know it and we can read it in the Bible. But the challenge really is tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday morning, am I going to live and choose to live as though I am his? Because that is a choice. And it seems too simple to stand in front of that bar of chocolate and say, not today. But actually, if I did that every single time. But it seems too simple, so we give up. But the resurrection was not like resuscitation. The resurrection didn't bring your past with you. The resurrection didn't write you off before it even started the resurrection brought you into relationship and that's what it's about it's a relationship and the nice thing about relationships is that they are dynamic they are ever-changing they are things that you have to choose to engage with you don't have a marriage that starts on a wedding day and then you don't speak to each other for 20 years I say you don't but a truly healthy relationship is one that is constantly changing and in dialogue and constantly talking to each other, constantly deepening in intensity and deepening in in intimacy. You're getting to know each other better than you ever did before. How is your relationship with God now compared to how it was two years ago? How is your relationship with God now compared to how it was six months ago, two weeks ago, yesterday? Is it changing? Is it dynamic? Is it something you are actively engaging with? Because if we recognize that I am his, then we need to engage. That is the answer. We can make decisions on a daily basis. We can make choices, but choices don't actually change us. Relationships change us. People change us. Relationship with God changes us. We need to choose to engage with him on a relationship basis the cross and the resurrection were primarily about one thing and that's relationship it was about bringing you into a relationship with him so live in that relationship because it's there that we will learn what it is to truly live a resurrected life hopefully in a year's time better than we're doing today but it's a choice. Can I pray with you?
Is that okay? If the band want to come up, that'd be great. Jesus, we thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. Jesus, we thank you that you came to sacrifice yourself for us, that we could know you better, that we could come into a place of relationship with you. And Jesus, we thank you for everything that you give us. God, for the joy, the peace, the hope. God, everything that you have chosen to place within our lives. And Jesus, this morning, we want to choose to engage with you. We want to choose to engage with you as Father. You know, if you've never made that decision, you've never made that choice to enter into a relationship with God, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Because actually, it starts with a choice, but it continues as a relationship. But you have to make the choice first. So if you want to, if you just want to choose to start a relationship with God this morning, it's as simple as just asking Jesus to come into your life and choosing to follow him from this day on. And all of the detail and everything he works out afterwards, which is the nice thing. But it starts with a choice that, God, I just want to know you more. So if you want to do that and you want to make that choice, then I'm just going to ask you to do something slightly brave, which is to put up your hand. If you want to make that choice to say, God, I want to know you more for the first time this morning, then it's to put up your hand now. And I'm not asking you to do that um, for any reason other than that we can help support you in that, that we can help you on your journey. So if, if that is you this morning, then just take this opportunity now just to pop your hand up and somebody will have a chat with you afterwards. You can talk to the person that you came with but now is your chance. Great. So for the rest of us, that choice is still the same. That choice of, God, I want to know you more. Whatever stage of our relationship we've got to, God, I want to know you more. God, I want to go deeper with you. Can I encourage you to make that choice every day? God, will you teach me more about you? And God, I pray that you remind us to make that choice because we often forget and we're sorry for that. But God, will you remind us and prompt us to choose to go deeper with you and will you take us deeper into your presence? I am not how I think I am. I am not who I was. I am his. Let that truth go with you this week. Thank you.